following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. Stir up your might and come to save us. The words of Psalm 80 are the anguished outburst, the lament of a desperate people. Having exhausted all other options, they have given up now on restrained prayers to God. There's no polite or cautious asking in Psalm 80. No, you know, please, God, if maybe you could consider. There's no tiptoeing around what's being desired here. Instead, clear statements, clear statements, bold statements of what we want and of what we know that we need. Give ear, O shepherd. Stir up your might. Come to save us. And then there's this repeated phrase three times in the Psalm 80. It's desperation heightened or deepened each time that it's said again. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Psalm 80 is a communal lament. It's an expression of of shared desperation or grief or weariness. But it is a psalm and a prayer also grounded in trust, in faith that God's presence is decisive, that God showing up makes a real difference. Let your face shine that we may be saved. As with most psalms, the authorship of it is uncertain, but Psalm 80 likely emerged out of the community who is experiencing firsthand the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem, while some significant portion of their population was being taken or exiled into Babylon. Faced with that reality of their defeated national and religious identity, verses 4 through 6 give voice to the depths of their despair. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears, given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. It's a hard image, a hard experience to feel as though God has gone missing from our lives or from the world or that God has even turned against us. And so the psalm moves from lament to a bold calling of God to account, reminding this God of hosts to show up again in a way that will make a difference. Restore us. Let your face shine. Consider us. Remember us. Act that we may be saved. I wonder this morning if there are areas of your life where you might echo the psalmist's cry, either personally in your own life or for the world around you that sometimes feels like it's fallen apart? Where are you longing for God to stir up divine might, to come to save us, to heal, to restore us, that we, this whole world, may be whole? Advent is our season for acknowledging our weariness and clarifying our desires. What are we longing for? What sort of world? And where in our lives, where in our bodies or our minds, our habits or our relationships, in our work or in our family, where are we right now feeling worn out or wearied, 
stressed out, or stretched thin. Throughout the Advent and Christmas seasons this year, from today through January 7th, in our worship together, we're going to be asking and responding to the question, how does a weary world rejoice? That question is drawn, of course, from a line in the familiar Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. A thrill of hope, it says, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Now, significantly, the line does not say the world stops being weary and starts rejoicing instead. It says a weary world rejoices. And though it may seem strange for us to consider that weariness and joy can inhabit the same space, the same season, the same body, mind, and spirit, quite often we know they do. Joy often is a companion to those other emotions. We feel joy. We experience that deep combination of, of happiness and gratitude right alongside grief or anticipation or anxiety or expectation or disappointment or exhaustion. And that's important for us to hold, that the two can exist together. Sometimes we might think that if we're feeling weary, then there's no room for joy. Or we might internalize the lie that, that joy isn't something we deserve, that it isn't possible for us or not possible for us anymore, that joy is entirely out of our reach. At least in part, that may be because we're thinking of joy as something that we accomplish or that we acquire for ourselves. Certainly, of course, that's what all the advertisements this time of year would have us to believe, that we can curate, that we can purchase joy through this or that or the other thing. In recent years, it's become a popular phrase to choose joy. Well, I'm sure that that's well-intentioned. I'm not entirely sure it's quite on track. Being told that we need to choose joy can leave us feeling as though we've done something wrong or, or failed to do something right if we're not feeling joyful. But joy isn't something that we can create or accomplish. We can't white-knuckle our way to joy. Joy is a gift. Like grace and love and peace and hope and faith, joy is a gift from God. And just like those others, it isn't a gift that's offered to some and not to others. Joy always is on offer to all. What we can choose is to receive joy, to welcome joy. And we can do that while we're weary or anxious or afraid or angry or grieving. For joy isn't separate from these things. Joy isn't separate from pain. In fact, joy is what emerges from the ways that we care for each other through pain. And joy is essential for surviving pain. Joy is what keeps us afloat. Joy is what pulls us through. And so during these Advent and Christmas seasons, we want to hold space for our weariness and our joy to live together. We want to open to that thrill of hope, that good no news of great joy for all the people in our hurting world, not apart from it. We want to welcome joy, not as some denial of our harder realities, not as an escape from our social responsibilities, but as a companion alongside them. And so as Advent begins today, we begin by acknowledging all of this other stuff that we're carrying with us already whether it's grief or anger or disappointment or frustration, the reality that life may not have turned out for us the way that we thought it would, 
or the reality that the world may not be the way that we think it really ought to be, we acknowledge that weariness, that longing, that desire on this first Sunday of Advent. And simultaneously, we affirm that we are made for joy, that we are capable of welcoming joy in our Advent waiting. Alongside the communal lament of Psalm 80, we read also this morning a more personal story of lament from the beginning of Luke's gospel, part of the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their lament isn't quite as on the surface as that which we find in Psalm 80, but it is certainly deep. It is personal and it hurts. For years now, they have struggled with infertility. They are wearied and worn down by the weight of their own expectations and the expectations of others, by the pain of hopes and dreams unattained. In their weariness, not apart from it, in their weariness, God's messenger comes to Zechariah with a promise of good news, but Zechariah, notice, is not ready to receive it. His weariness, his heartache, his unsatisfied desires have hardened into resignation. And that resignation prevents him, in this moment at least, from being open to receive the joy that God longs to give him. Rather than receiving joy, welcoming joy, Zechariah seeks certainty instead. How can I be sure of this, he asks. And then he goes on to list all the reasons why he is certain that it won't happen. My wife and I, he says, are very old. Hardened by years of weariness, closed off to joy, he focuses on the obstacles, the, the setbacks, what he lacks, instead of focusing on what God can do. And as a result, Zechariah becomes silent, unable to speak for the duration of Elizabeth's very unexpected pregnancy. Oftentimes, that silence in this story is read as a punishment of Zechariah. His questioning of the messenger's absurd proclamation is judged to be a lack of faith, and therefore he's told something like, well, it's true, but because you didn't believe me, you won't be able to say another word until you see it for yourself. So now be quiet and go sit over there. But what if, what if that silence isn't actually a punishment? What if that silence is a blessing? What if God is offering Zechariah this season of silence, this period of pregnant waiting to sit with the news, to ponder God's words, to process the literally unbelievable joy that is now on its way to him. Through the messenger, God says that joy is on its way, and now, in silence, Zechariah has an opportunity to open to it, to receive it, to welcome the joy that is coming. When we've become hardened by our weariness, our grief or anger or frustration, we too may need some time, some silence, some solitude to open to the joy that God wants to give us. It's one of the reasons that we have this season of Advent, these weeks of waiting, preparing, anticipating. This is our time to learn again, not to spring right on into Christmas, but to learn again year after year after year, to, to practice leaning in and listening more carefully, readying ourselves to receive the glimpses of God's new world that's on its way. So much of our lives is spent in endless distraction. In fact, sometimes we choose that distraction precisely to, to numb our pain, 
We spend our lives amid bright lights and loud noises, literally and metaphorically. If we're going to notice the fragile light of Christ dawning among us, we might need to sit a little while in the darkness to let our eyes adjust. If we're going to hear the sound of angels singing and the whisper of our still speaking God, we might need to get reacquainted with silence first. Not just the absence of noise, but real stillness. Stillness that opens our attention to God. God who wants to give us joy, not just after our weariness, but amid it, is sending us messages of joy, opportunities for joy all the time, sometimes in the places and seasons we least expect it. The practices of Advent help us to notice those messages and those opportunities, to see them, to hear them, to feel them, and to open to receive them, to be ready to welcome God's joy. Over the past week, like many of you, I am sure, I've been noticing the decorations that are popping up all over the place around our home these days. Especially, I think, because we're living in a neighborhood that's new to us, I'm more aware of them this year than I often am, more delighted by them. The lights, the trees, the wreaths, the black squirrel down the street from us, the cutout wearing a Santa hat. Each of them is a glimpse of the greater celebration that's on its way. Each of them a little foretaste of fuller joy. Just like that, Advent is our invitation to open to those opportunities for joy. While we're waiting, while we're weary, we attend to the simple joys of God's presence, the signs of God's new creation that's coming. Holding both weariness and joy together can seem strange, but that's where we're living all the time. Between the old creation and the fulfillment of the new one, between the present and the promise, between what is and what shall be, all the time we're living in Advent. And all the time, God is offering us joy. Often he comes to us subtly or simply in ways easy to ignore, but it's always there in a glimpse, in a whisper, in a nudge, in a strange and confusing message, or in an ordinary child born to an impoverished family living in a weary world. However it comes, by grace, may we be open to welcome it as we continue to wait, as we continue to pray our Advent prayer. Come, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.com.